Welcome to our listeners to yet another episode of Rock and Block. This is Michael Martinez. Today's episode will be a journey on the self-discovery of the rules and engagement of the new world. Our parents taught us that to be successful, you had to go to college, you had to get a degree, and you had to do all this square laws of traditional engagement to be successful. You had to become the boss, you had to be the manager, you have to be the president of a corporation so you can actually be called successful. And you had to work your ass off for the lack of a better term so you can actually be successful. Or you had to have so much money in the bank so you could be successful. Or you had to have this BMW or a Mercedes-Benz car, or your wife had to, um, you know, be in, in high heels all, all the time. And, you know, it was all about um, capital gain. In the last 10 years, I've seen people that are even happier with less, or not with less, but just are happier just with enough. Joining me today is Paul Jarvis, author of the upcoming book, Company of One. And in this book, he actually talks about this one concept of enough. Uh, Paul, thank you for joining us. And what is Company of One in this concept of just enough? Yeah, thanks for for having me on the show. So, yeah, I mean, the the idea of Company of One is not that just like Tim Ferriss's four hour work week isn't meant to literally be that you work four hours and then you're done. Company of One isn't meant to be you just have a one person business and you work for yourself by yourself. It's more that it, it's a mindset to question growth because sometimes growth makes sense in business, but not all the time. And if we assume that growth is always good, always beneficial, <clears throat> always what we need, then we can run into problems. We could run into the fact that not everything is meant to grow forever and on and on. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that the idea of what a company of one is, is really just it's a company that questions growth first and then resists growth if there's a smarter and a better way forward. Because sometimes there, there really is. I agree. Uh, we've gotten used to the idea that um, if you want, if you start a company, you need to hire, you need to have the structure of a president or CEO, the CFO, the CTO, the COO, and all of these hierarchy and you, you need to have this horizontal and vertical ways of things in order to operate. And you need to work 12-hour days or so. And in the last uh, three years, ever since I discovered the book, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, um, Art of Work by Jeff Goins, I started this, this, this path of discovery of many entrepreneurs such as Brian Clark, which led me to discover you on, on the very first episode. Um, where you started talking about your journey and it led me to discover many other people and all of them agreed that 
there are many different ways and many different paths of being successful. And even though uh, CEO of Virgin and and many other CEOs and the companies have been able to achieve success. They always say this the exact same thing. The way that I did it was because that was the way that it was done in the 70s and in the, in, the, in the 80s. The way that this is being done today, it's very different. Uh, Gary V, the way that he's doing it now in the 2010s, it's very different than the way that he would have done it. It, it, it would have been in the 90s. And the way that he's growing his company, it's extremely different than the way that he would have done it with if he was uh, on the time that he, his parent would have done would have done it. So now, measuring success, it's a matter of what do you want? Do you want to be? Uh, do you want to work for your business, or do you want your your business to work for you? And just before it's, we started recording, I was I, I received yesterday the um, the the new entrepreneur magazine and I, I was just browsing through it and said how to succeed in 2019 and one of the things that pop up into my head um very well it just pop up very quickly it said automation and i said well i'm gonna actually read this uh as i'm talking to paul because you are very into automation with your chimp essentials course um and it says ever heard the term bullshit job We've all had them. And I'm like, yeah, recently I had to do uh, a freelance job where I was like, you know, we can just say we can shave about 80 hours of work by implementing Sapier in 15 minutes. I can do this. <laughs> we just need we just need Sapier. And in 15 minutes, I can do what you're telling me. That's impossible. Look at me. And I saved them. I've saved them. 80 hours of work and four people. But I asked them to pay me what I was worth just because of that, because automation and because of the knowledge that I was worth. And that's the job of um, the company of one, what I believe is, what are your thoughts about that in particular? Um, because you've worked with, with pro yeah. athletes, you've worked with Microsoft, you've worked with um, Mercedes-Benz, you've worked with a lot of people. <clears throat> yeah, I think that that you kind of hit on, on the key point there. It's that it, there will be, and, and I mean, people freak out about like robots or AI taking over, taking over jobs. And I think that it's possible that, that software automation or robots or AI or whatever you want to call it can take over jobs, but it's the menial jobs that they're better suited to do than human beings. I think human beings are best suited for jobs that require creativity and ingenuity, just like, just like you coming up with the solution that just involves setting up Zapier as a software solution instead of having a person manually do eight hour, 80 hours of work a week. I think that the, the value that we bring to the table uh, as companies or, or as creative people or as entrepreneurs is our ability to solve problems and that it's hard to, it, it's going to be hard to automate creative and ingenious problem solving with AI. Like if I asked Siri what the score was in a game last night, it's going to tell me. If I ask Siri, like, 
how to do something or how to think through a problem, it's going to come up very, very short. It's going to say, I'm sorry, Paul, I don't understand the question. Uh, yeah, tell me about that because my I recently bought the Google Home Hub and my wife keeps telling me, throw it away. Um, no, <laughs> it just needs to learn. And we have a one-year-old and, and I keep telling her, look, our baby is one-year-old. She's in the process of learning, and we're teaching her. Google just released this piece of tech, and it's little by little, we are feeding her what we want her to learn. So she is feeding that information to Google, and little by little, Google will be like reporting, Michael wants to learn, wants me to learn to do this. And then Google will update it and we'll be adding features and stuff. So yeah. it's a matter. While it's keeping track of everything you ever say or do in front of you. Yeah, I <laughs> And then selling that data to advertisers. Yeah, I keep telling people, I keep telling people <laughs> that if at any point in time, uh, and I'm not advertising any of these companies, at any point in time, Amazon or AT&T merge, Skynet will activate. Yeah. Exactly. We'll, we'll have reached the singularity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, I agree with you that um, AI and automation, what is allowing us is for us, to, it's an opportunity for people to actually grow into the next level, acquire new, new tech skills so we can actually enjoy better jobs where we can actually come across as experts or not even experts, uh, be guides, be guides or be thoughtful guides that we can actually pinpoint to solutions where we can actually just um, enjoy more time doing actually more meaningful jobs or more meaningful tasks that allow us to just uh, look for even more or more, more goals. Or more or better projects that actually push forward uh, the process or projects or the goals of the company or go or personal goals or professional goals of whatever it is that we're doing, um, instead of just being stuck yeah. in the in the same thing over and over and over and over again for eighty hours, like in the example that yeah. I gave. Yeah, I mean another good example of that is like email software, like newsletter yeah. software. Like it takes me just as long to write an article and send it to you one person as it does for me to write an article and send it to 30,000 people on a mailing right. list. And it shows right. up in the same place. It shows up in the person's inbox. Correct. And I mean, that to me is like the, the best way to, to scale without growth because in, in that way I can scale my reach to people who want to pay attention Without, I don't have to hire 30,000 people to one-on-one -on -one talk to 30,000 customers. Right. Like, I think it, it, to that end, I think technology ha has really given us, not all, but some really, really great tools to be able to, to do things that only big companies used to be able to do. And now tiny companies can use the exact same tools, the exact same software. It's not very expensive. Like Zapier, MailChimp is free for the first 2,000 people. Zapier, I think, starts for free and then it's like $15 a month. Like it's very cost effective to use um, these software solutions and the, these ways to, to scale reach without requiring traditional right. growth. 
And it just makes sense. Like, I don't know why you would need to be a massive company anymore. Like what used to make sense, like you said, in the the industrial revolution all the way through to the 80s, no longer, it's just something that used to work. It's not something that still Correct. works. And now with discovering niche markets and niche industries and, and hashtag, uh, thank God for the hashtags because now everyone has their own unique thing and niche markets are bringing in um, and discoveries of people that just want to be catered to. And uh, I can't believe I, it, it's like the two the two uh, the, the two brands that I'm always mentioning in every single podcast are Metallica and Seth Godin. Um, but I mean, kudos to them. I'm waiting for that collaboration to happen between Seth Godin. That and would Metallica. be that that would be like Metall like, like Metallica and Lou Reed, but it would be amazing because I mean it would be like spoken marketing uh, metal album. That would be amazing. I, I, I think I can actually make that happen somehow. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see if I can make something happen. I'm going to get sued by Lars. Yeah, I mean, but he's going to sue everybody. That's just the way he is. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Um, I'm, obviously, I'm reading This Is Marketing, although it's, I'm, I'm listening to it. I, I, get, I got the audiobook. So, yeah, it's a great it book. Is, obviously, um, Seth is obviously the guru. Um, actually, I quoted you and Seth on the same article, uh, on the same blog, blog post uh, on, on, my, on my blog. Yeah. Um, and Seth says that thanks to the niche market and the story you're telling, you're able to actually pinpoint and laser point new markets and new audiences. And the story that you're telling to each one of them, you're able to cater to those people in those audiences better than if you're just like trying to uh, mass target and penetrate penetrate markets the way that we used to in the 90s and in the 80s and even in the 2000s. Mass marketing and advertising is not the way that, that we're, it's not the way that to go right now. People are not, people don't want to be sold to. People want to be engaged with. People want to have a community. And I can vouch for this because whenever someone tells me, if you buy my course, you will be on my email list and you will be on my Slack. Does that, that, does that actually sound familiar to you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much the way that I, yeah, that I make things. As I want to build... A community. I don't really care about just single sales to one-off customers. Like I want to develop relationships with people, and I do. <clears throat> like all of my products aren't for everybody. Like not a single thing I've ever made is for everybody. It's not for most people. Right. In fact, is just for the people that one need it and two resonate with the way that I promote its message. And I mean, that's why I do things like that, that seem kind of weird. Like that's why there's one swear word in my welcome message on my newsletter, because if people have a problem with swearing, I, I know I'm going to swear at some point and I'd rather them be mad at me in the beginning and leave than be mad at me two years down the road and be really mad that I've somehow like ruined this relationship uh, that we have together. That's why I talk about tattoos in the, in the, the welcome message. That's why a lot of my sales messaging talks about my pet rats. Like I do things purposefully to, to make it 
so that most people don't like what I do. So then when, when I'm thinking about who I'm making it for and who will like it and who will feel like they're being spoken to, it just resonates that much stronger with that very, very specific tiny audience. And that's the audience that I want to serve. Like if my mailing list was bigger, then I wouldn't be able to have these one-on-one dialogues with a lot of people. Like I know a lot of people who buy my stuff by name. Like I'll see that they, a purchase comes through on Stripe or on PayPal. And I'm like, I know that person. I've spoken to them right. before. Like we've had email interactions on my newsletter. And if my newsletter was larger, then I wouldn't have that. I wouldn't be able to. Like right now, if I send out a newsletter, I get two or 300 replies. I can read all those. It sometimes takes me a day, but I can read and reply to most of them. If my mailing list was 10 times larger or 100 times larger, I wouldn't be able to do that. I would lose that connection with the audience that I'm trying to foster a relationship with. And I need that relationship. Like that relationship is what helps me build products that they actually want. It helps me make things that matter to those people. And those are the people paying attention. So those are the people that I really, really want to cater to. And I really want to create value for. And everybody else, it doesn't matter. Like everybody, I, I don't know how to market to the internet or market to the globe, but I know how to market to a very tiny group of people. And most of those people are already paying attention. So I don't need more of them. They're, they're enough, a word that you brought up in the beginning, which is kind of the point of the book as well, is that uh, you can reach enough in business and then that can sustain you. And then you don't have to bother chasing growth. You don't have to be stressed out about chasing growth. You can optimize for what enough is at that time and then it, and then it can ultimately work better. Right. I, I remember that uh, on your, you have another course besides Chimp, Chimp Essentials. You have Creative Class, which is a course that, I loved and I signed up for early in 2018 when it was open. And I loved it because it set me up for the success that, okay, I have to start thinking about taking things seriously as a freelancer. And it gave me the structure of think about finances, think about, think about um, legal, think about now, midterm and long-term processes. I started saying I start, uh, saying processes and not processes. Uh, thanks to you and a couple of other people, <laughs> and um, and it helped me figure out that look, instead instead of buying all this crap and all this gear and all this technology, wh- uh, whenever I would go into Best Buy, my wife would have a heart attack, but could, because she would figure like, oh my god, <laughs> he's gonna come back with all this junk. I actually go to Best Buy and I, I, I do what I call the eye shopping. I shop with just my eyes and I bought the entire store and I came back empty handed. And she's like, oh my God, you did it. You came back with nothing. I did it. I came back with nothing. I was only at Best Buy for two hours, but I came back with nothing. <laughs> I'm not sponsoring Best Buy, by the way. Anyway, but I, but I started thinking about, look, I am, I am going to, you know, put this in my, in my IRA. I'm going to think about my future. I'm going to think about my daughter. I'm actually going to invest my money into something in the, in the long term because I actually want to be able to retire and I want to invest my money in, in the long term. And those are things that people are not thinking about. I want to be able to pay off my car and pay off my house and pay off all my debts as soon as possible so I can start enjoying my life as soon as possible. And my mom, even though she's a born-again Christian, 
she told me that she learned Buddha used to say, you start living by the time you're 55 because the first 25 years of your life, you're actually learning. Then the, the, the next 25 years, you are getting married and raising children. That's 50. And the next five years, you're supposed to be ending your professional life and you're supposed to be, you know, reaping the fruits of, you know, gathering everything that you've been uh, planting. So by the time that you're 55, you should be retiring or start retiring so you're able to enjoy your life. And I'm like, I should be retiring by the time that I'm 55. So that gives me right now, that gives me 22 years to start thinking about starting to retire and and doing all the things. And I believe that company of one, if anyone has the mentality of enjoying their life and living their fullest and traveling the world and not and not doing what and I'm not trying to criticize not living the life that their grandparents and their parents lived where they were uh, chained to their jobs I believe that they should pick up a, a book a copy of Company of One yeah thank you and I, I do talk about in later chapters that you haven't read yet because it's not in the um, the preview excerpt. I talk about um, savings and money quite a bit because I think that it's it's really important to to think about that, especially when we work for ourselves. Like we do need to enough has to include, like you talked about, like we need to be able to pay off like our cars and our houses and put food on the table, but enough also needs to include saving for the future, like you said. Like I know that making enough just to cover my basic needs is not enough. Making enough to cover my basic needs and have a bit of a contingency fund in case something goes wrong and also have money that I put into savings every single month, then that's enough for me because I do want to be comfortable now and I do want to figure out how to exist with what I need and not live in excess now. But I also know that I want the same in the future. Like right now is my prime earning potential or whatever you want to call it for like somebody who's working for a living. But yeah, I want to save. And I mean, it was one of the smartest things I did at a young age was start putting money into savings. And it wasn't even a lot at first. It was a very small amount, but every month it would be like $20 and $50 and $100 and then more and more as I started earning more. But you just build this habit of saying, okay, uh, of the money I've made, if I don't need that money right this second, maybe I can save it because the beauty of compound interest is the money you put away into savings is just going to keep growing. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, but inflation happens at about 3% a year where things just cost more and more every year. If your money is sitting in a bank account and it's not making money, at at least 3%, then if you have money in a bank that's collecting no interest, you're technically losing money every single year because it's not keep, your savings aren't keeping up with the rate of inflation. And therefore, if you had $5,000 in the bank today, that $5,000 isn't going to be worth as much in 10 years or in 50 years. But if it's also making interest, and even if it's just things like like index funds, like just you're investing in the market, you're, you don't have to play the stocks. I don't even know what I don't even know how to do stocks, but I know how to put money into all of the stocks. I put money into my index funds, which are very cheap to run, and then it makes money. And it on average makes about four or five percent. 
which is not awesome, but it's still better than inflation. I'm still covering inflation and then some and making compound interest every single year. And so my, my savings just keep growing, which is awesome. And like when you do the calculation, uh, there's a bunch of websites, like I think Betterment or Wealthfront or Wealthsimple, I'm not even promoting any of them. They all have calculators where you can say like, if you put $5,000 away today in like 20 years, it's worth like $80,000 and 50 years, it's worth like $1.2 million. And I just think that, that, that that's really powerful. So even if you start saving small now, then that money is going to grow. And it's a beautiful thing to, to make money off of money you've saved. Yeah. I do have to say that, um, uh, man, you're quite the influencer. I just noticed. Um, I think that it was, I'm not sure if it was um, one of your newsletter, one of your courses, or where was it? But you got me into Wealth Simple, and they, were, they tried to figure out a way because I'm in Puerto Rico. And even though... Puerto Rico is a commonwealth territory of the United States. Their broker took the challenge to bring me on. And I'm the first Puerto Rican customer for Wealth Simple. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really awesome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I know it's so ridiculous that, the, that, the, that there are problems with America, with people in Puerto Rico. Um, doing things that other Americans can like, I don't, I, because I'm not American, I, I guess, I guess I don't fully understand it, but it just seems like you should be able to do things like invest in well, simple. Like it's a good, it's a good thing. And I mean, there, I, they started in Canada. So they've only just recently gone to like the United Kingdom and the United States, but I'm glad that they like, they're, they're a cool company. And like, I hate promoting, I hate promoting like specific money companies, but like all my experiences with Wealthsimple have been really good and they're good people doing good work for cheap. Like I save money. Like I used to have a financial planner. Um, and when I switched to Wealthsimple, I ended up like I save a lot, like I save in the thousands of dollars moving my money to Wealthsimple because they charge a flat fee and it's a lot less than like, a, and this again speaks to the automation. Like they're a robo investor. So most of the things that other businesses use people to do, and people cost money, a lot yep. of money, they do things through automation and then they pass that savings on to their customers. Yep. So I think I'm paying like 2% or 2.4% on my investments, whereas other traditional um, financial advisors charge four, six, eight 8%. And like that adds up and that adds up to you not making as much money on your interest every single Correct. year. Um Let's add a little disclaimer here. Um, this podcast does not represent financial advice. If you do want financial advice, please consult with a financial advisor, a licensed financial advisor for your territory, state, or country. Thank you. Michael Media or Miguel Martinez in Puerto Rico are not financial advisors, nor is Mr. Paul Jarvis. Thank you very much. I just want to say that. Yeah, that that sounds that sounds super legit. <laughs> I've had to learn the very hard way because I am obviously the second part of Rock and Block is because I am into blockchain technology. And people know me on from cryptocurrencies. And sometimes I go like, yay, Ethereum. And they're like, oh my God, he's uh, sponsoring Ethereum. And I'm like, uh, you said Ethereum. That doesn't mean I'm telling you to go and buy ethereum i just said yay ethereum 
Yes. Again, not telling you to buy or sell or hodl or anything on Ethereum. But it is a bear market right now <laughs> for everything. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even looked at crypto for a while. I had a bunch of it. And I ended up selling it and bought a car because I needed a car at the time. So I just liquidated. And I was like, I spent, yeah, I, I total aside, but I, I think I spent like $1,000 on crypto. I, and I had enough for a car, so I just cashed I, out. Um, I got I'm gonna go. I'm gonna come out clean on 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 this one subject. And I'm, and a lot of people are gonna be able are, are gonna make fun of me because of this. But I invested. This is when Hurricane Maria hit, and I was using a power generator to run on the house. My wife was pregnant at the time. Uh, this is late. October, early November. And there was one blockchain project called, uh, called Spank Chain. Yes, it's about porn on the blockchain, on Ethereum. And they were about to have an ICO. And I decided to invest 0.8 Ethereum on it. And then I hodled. And then I decided to sell everything and it turned out that i got a whole lot a whole lot because i got it i got out at the ath of ethereum so yes michael decided to invest in a porn ethereum <laughs> blockchain project and for those who know me yeah that's that's kind of changeful. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like I'm sure you used the money that you made for like I needed a vehicle at the time. I sold when when Bitcoin and Ethereum were at the highest. And I didn't even know that they were at the highest. That's just when I need that's just when I was like, I've made enough money off of this. I need a vehicle next week. Why don't I sell this? And then I have enough money for a vehicle. Then I don't have to pay interest on the vehicle payments. I can just pay for it in cash. And I was like, this works for me. And it, it was just dumb luck on my part that I sold at the, at the peak of the market for that. Again, not advice, not to be misconstrued as advice. I'm not a, a blockchain advisor, but it just worked out for me. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that it did. But I haven't even looked at the, at the markets for so long now. Yeah, actually, uh, it's surprising enough. In the same article of uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneur in Forbes magazine have been uh, paying attention a whole lot to blockchain. But uh, one of the things that they they're saying is that uh, blockchain, obviously, it's um, they they do blockchain technology. Obviously, has a lot of advantages, and mainly Ethereum and EOS uh, blockchain technologies have a lot of advantages, such as um, tokenizing intellectual property. And the transparency of knowing where the data is coming from or uh, products or something as simple as um, manufacturing or, you know, is the product really or really organic? Where is it coming from? How was that? Is that chicken really kosher? You know, something, things like that. So, or... Uh, clean energy. Are we really? Uh, can we really save on on providing clean energy? Things things like that uh, can really uh, help us. So, one of the things that they're recommending is um, implementing blockchain technology for e-commerce and uh, and uh, allowing 
entrepreneurs uh, uh, to accept cryptocurrency for payments. And I don't know, what are your thoughts about it? Because obviously you use Stripe a lot. Um, I actually prefer Stripe rather than PayPal because of certain uh, parameters that allow us as entrepreneurs and freelancers to actually get paid a whole lot quicker, faster, and other things. Yeah, I mean, PayPal just sucks to deal with as well. Like it's just, they're just hard. It's hard to just make things work. Whereas Stripe things just work and it's great. And I can take, like you said, I can take the money up faster. I think that <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm hopeful for what blockchain technology can do for e-commerce, but the way that it's gone and it seems to have pulled back a bit is that for the longest time, people were treating, uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency as investments and it's really hard to use investments for buying consumer goods because there was all these stories about like oh i pay for my pizza with like one bitcoin and that bitcoin is then worth like nineteen thousand dollars like years later so i spent nineteen thousand dollars on a pizza so in that case i don't think it makes a lot of sense right. because it's still new it's still volatile people if people are treating a currency as an investment the way that in the in the in the very far past like people were treating um like gold and and silver as more of futures investments than currency then it's really hard to use that as a currency i think as it matures and as we achieve stability in as much as any currency can be stable which is a bit of a fallacy anyways, like currencies by nature are not stable. But once there's a bit of a stability where things aren't growing by 2000%, like month over month, then I think it makes sense. Like I really do. And I am really hopeful that we pull money away from nationalism where a country basically gets to own a currency. I think people should be able to own currency and people should be able to own their wealth separate from the government uh, of where they just happen to live. And I mean, in, in that way, I, I am actually very hopeful that we're going to get away from because a lot of it's so shady, like all the things that I watch on like the International Money Fund or, or all of that, like it's all shady stuff happening. Like I want there to be accountability and trustworthiness um, in, in currency and wealth. And I think if we separate it from governments, that's ultimately a good thing. We're not there yet, but I, like I said, I'm hopeful that that happens because that's going to be really like that's going to be really cool. I agree. I I truly I truly agree. I've I, you know, when I heard about Ethereum, I actually thought that it was a it was a band. I actually thought that it was a symfon uh, symphonic metal band because back in 2000, in 2003, I was part of a band called Ethereal Dreams. So I'm like someone stole kind of my name so okay but then they explained to me and i'm like boxing that doesn't sound like that obviously i learned about it and then now i'm actually i've actually start thinking about economics tokenomics technology i've gotten really into it and i'm like okay the world has the world has gotten very big and very small at the same time and it's gotten into layers and mr Ari Levy Cohen, who 
is one of my one of my mentors. I love him dearly. He comes from a financial advice, uh, financial background. One of the things that he told me is, the world is just like the Lego mat, and everything needs to be built on top of that. And blockchain technology is just that, and everything is just being built on top of it. And the economics and tokenomics is just little pieces being on top of that, built on top of that technology, society, community, and the decentralization and everything is just being built on top of that. The way that it needs to be built, it's by the people and truly by the people and for the people. And doesn't need to be built by agencies and by people with hidden agendas. This needs to be done by people that want to be led by people, which I remember at one point in time and closing, you know, uh, closing this episode because if not, we're going to be, uh, we're going to, we're going to have to create another course, you and I. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that one point in time, you obviously have been on the internet for a while, and you said that you were on the internet back when it was truly peer to peer, back when it was truly P two P, way before um, Napster, and you've seen it being peer to peer siloed into servers, and now with this new, let's go back to peer to peer, and it being called Web three and now this whole thing about big corporations coming over to the dot-com era and the whole movement of entrepreneurs and everyone wants to be their own, wants to be all about synergy and, and freelancing. And I know the guy that does web design while I'm the guy doing digital marketing, while I know the guy that wants to be this. And they hire each other and they collaborate because they are a match community of freelancers and and such and they create their own their own community of company of one right so they're mm-hmm. they're doing kind of like their analog blockchain match community and they're t- they're taking they're we've been doing kind of like the principle of company of one but now you're actually taking that principle and just making it into you've actually written the book about it but you've actually been living on this pro- on this principle for 20 years now. Yeah, I think that it, it, we don't have to do everything. Like there was this, it's fine. There's a speech way before I was born. Um, I can't remember who gave the speech. It was from like 1956 or something. And he talked about a pencil. And he's like, there is not a human that exists now in the 50s or even now in 2018 there's not a human in existence that can make this pencil from start to finish. There's not a company in the world that can make this pencil from start to finish because somebody needs to do the mining of the, of the metals that go into the, the center strip, the writing um, charcoal or whatever it is. I can't, it's a bunch of elements, but there's like a mining company. There's a different company that does the logging of the cedars to make the, the wood that goes around the, the, graphite or charcoal or whatever it is there's another company that makes the rubber erasers there's another company that puts all of these things together there's another company that sells the pencil so like pretty much everything in the world whether we're talking about a big company or or like freelancers working together it's collaboration and it's collaboration um in economics as well and i think that 
if we even if we start to think like even big companies do this, like I, there's no shame or there's no problem in smaller businesses do, doing this. And I mean, throughout the book, I talk about people who work for themselves collaborating with other people. I talk yeah. about uh, businesses like Marshall Haas's Need Want that makes um, iPhone cases, or my buddy Jeff Sheldon who runs the Ugmont company that makes T-shirts and really nice looking things for home offices. They don't need to manufacture these products. They're basically, they need to run the e-commerce and the branding and the marketing side of these products. They partner with companies that make things. Jeff uses a different company to print t-shirts as he does to make the coasters or the desk stands. And so he doesn't need to do all of the things. He doesn't need to grow a business of hundreds or thousands of employees to make his business work, to make his business profitable. Need Want makes in the eight figures and they're they're, I think, four people. They're a four-person yeah. business. And they've partnered with companies that, that align in vision and value to, to make products. And that's kind of like, I see that as the future. I see that as the past as well. I think we're just iterating on it and doing it better now than we ever have been able to do. So we need less overhead to, to run these businesses. And it's just getting better and better into the future as long as we're, as long as we're fostering this kind of idea of collaboration and craftsmanship, craftspersonship for the, the piece of the pie, for the piece of the supply chain that we're ultimately responsible for. Yeah. That's, that's truly, that's truly the, the way to go into the future as we're heading to 2019 and on. So, Paul, where can people find you and get more information about you and Company of One? Yeah, so the book, Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big Thing in Business, is available pretty much everywhere books are sold as of January 15th. So it's on Amazon, it's in paperback, it's in um, digital, it's in audio format. It should be in most local bookstores. If it's not, you can ask your local bookstore to carry it because it's traditionally published. They had There's distribution for this book. And then a lot of the things that, that you and I have been speaking about today are, are things that I speak about in my newsletter, which is called The Sunday Dispatches which is on pjrvs.com. Or if you just search Paul Jarvis, because that domain name is hard to remember. If you search Paul Jarvis um, in DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever you use, then, then you'll find it. And that's the, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm not on most things. But my newsletter is where I spend most of my time, where I communicate the most with my audience and where I like to spend my time. So my newsletter is the best and easiest way to keep up with the ideas that I'm sharing and, and talking about and the things that I'm working on. Awesome. And please remember to rate and leave a comment on iTunes on this awesome, awesome, awesome podcast, Rock and Block. This has been your host, Michael Martinez. This podcast has been sponsored by Michael Media. Have a good one, everybody. See you all in the blockchain.